Tonight's reading comes out of Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 22. And it says this, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, who were a Jewish sect. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, what, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. So... This week's reading from Matthew um, involves two factions of Jewish leadership who are essentially trying to trap Jesus in some kind of public exchange. And the question that they pose is, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, the tax that they're referring to uh, is not a duty on goods. It's not like a, a GST, a goods and services tax, but essentially it was a direct uh, administrative tax that was levied by the Roman government on the Jewish people. It was a specific tax for being Jewish, essentially. And so, in response, Jesus asked for a coin. And rather than producing one of his own, the implication being that either he doesn't have a Roman coin uh, or he kind of wants to add some theatre to, to the point that he's about to make. Um, he may have had coins, but uh, at that time, there were kind of two different currencies. Essentially, um, there were Jewish coins and there were Roman coins. And so uh, the Roman coins were used to pay the tax, uh, but because of the Jewish prohibition on images, um, because of the implications of idolatry, uh, there were coins without human images that were minted specifically for Jewish use. And so the Jewish leader leaders produce a Roman coin in the temple which if you understand that time and the kind of thinking behind it, uh, it's kind of questionable practice because they're almost bringing an idol into the temple. And so Jesus asks whose image, whose inscription or whose head and title are on the coin. And of course, the coin bears the image of Caesar, the emperor of the time. And it's, this is a really powerful symbol. This, they weren't in a time like ours where we live in a very brand-saturated world. So the significance of uh, an image like that sent a very clear message. Uh, and so Jesus says to them, well, if it's Caesar's image on the coin, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. I think this phrase, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, is, is actually really kind of pertinent to our time and place right now. I find the beauty of Jesus' answer to this kind of trick question that was posed to him in the text from Matthew is that while it looks like he's essentially endorsing the tax, he's actually subverting Caesar's authority and power. Because what he's doing is he's challenging the legitimacy of Caesar. Jesus is very clear that the coin has Caesar's image on it and so consequently it should be given back to Caesar. The implication, though, is that 
we are not of Caesar. Despite the emperor's image, his, his claims to ownership, his claims to authority kind of have no meaning in the light of this concept that we know as Imago Dei or, or the image of God, God's image on our lives. Imago Dei, we are made in the image of God. And so what we know, if we, if we hold to that and believe that, well, Caesar too is made in the image of God, but in that way of thinking, the converse isn't true. God is not then made in our image. Caesar is not God. And so we are not made in Caesar's image. And so for the very reasons that the Jews refused to have human images on their own coins because of the implications of idolatry, but somehow they're carrying around these Roman coins bearing the image of Caesar in the temple. This is kind of uh, this mic drop moment for Jesus, I think. And the Jewish leaders really are stunned and they have no retort. And so in juxtaposing the images of God and, and the images of Caesar, Jesus is effectively asking the question, to whom do you belong? To whom do you belong? To whose uh, authority do you submit? Give back the coin and the tax to the false God that it belongs to, but give the whole of yourself to God. And so empire, I think, in that time uh, was not even as pervasive as it is in our time. I think that empire in our time is even more pervasive than it was in Jesus' time. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of everywhere. There's um, some really interesting political theorists, if you get into this stuff at all, by the name of Michael Hart and Antonio Negri, and they basically say that um, empire in our time establishes no territorial centre of power. It doesn't rely on any fixed boundaries and barriers, and basically what they're positing is that empire is everywhere. You know, it, it sounds a bit like a, a trailer for a movie, doesn't it? It's like, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, empire is everywhere. It's kind of... That's right. Exactly. And kind of husky Darth Vader voices in the background, you know. Um, sorry, it's my bad Star Wars references. Um, but we live in a time of globalization and we live in a time of consumerism and, and capitalist production. And, and so what that means is that empire in our time kind of seeps into and impacts all aspects of our lives almost in this kind of godlike way. It, it reaches everywhere and, and it touches everything. You, you know, we, we constantly face these mantras of efficiency and convenience and, and consumption and productivity. They've kind of become this new gospel. And, and you could even argue, um, and I'm talking to myself here, you could even argue that our reasons for going to church um, are often marked by empire. You know, in a consumer culture, we, we go to church rather than kind of being the church. And we go to church in order to be entertained, and we go to church to be served, and we go to church to be told how to live kind of better and more prosperous and successful lives. And so sometimes I think that sermons kind of serve as this poor substitute for, for Tony Robbins. They kind of serve as this poor substitute for self-help and, and successful s- seminars. It's kind of like, you know, the cry of the crowd is, is tell us, preacher, how to be more efficient and more productive and, and more successful. You know, help us feel better about our comfortable lives. Anesthetize us against the pain of life. And... You probably know you're not going to hear any of that here. So, um, 
yet you keep coming, and that's great. Um, <laughs> I think that's a fair comment. I think it's absolutely a fair comment. And so we continue to be surrounded by church-based institutions, I think, that seek less to challenge or subvert the state, but rather to kind of try and control and to try and harness it. We're surrounded by church-based institutions that have really sought to control Caesar and to kind of control empire, and that's been the case for centuries. Dion and I were talking about Constantine recently. It's kind of been the case since, you know, 300 AD. But I think that this is Jesus' warning. Uh, I think that this is Jesus' point. Uh, He's warning against seeking false power and false authority by serving and and trying to kind of almost get in bed with Caesar and the empires of this world. Because in doing so, in, in kind of trying to control the state, the church essentially kind of has one hand on the coin of Caesar and one hand on the cross. And they're competing. And kind of in this figurative act, the church really can justly be accused of being guilty of of duplicity and idolatry. Dion shared a really beautiful and generous message um, a few weeks ago in which he very graciously uh, noted his disagreement with the leader of the Australian Christian Lobby. You're a much better person than I am, Dion. I'm not so gracious. And... um, I really find that this passage presses my buttons on on the ACL. Um, It kind of really speaks to the problem and the beef that I have uh, with the Australian Christian Lobby. Because in short, my observation is that the ACL really is just a political movement. It's a political movement that seeks a false power, that really is seeking a kind of Judeo-Christian state to the exclusion of all others. They don't actually seek a common good, I believe. That's my opinion. We'll discuss that. Their interests, I think, are disproportionately focused on controlling and legislating people's lives. They they don't apply an even hand, let alone privilege the poor, the oppressed, the marginalised, the excluded. They don't prioritise Jesus' heart for peace, for inclusion, for healing, for renewal. Instead, they kind of desire this imposed morality that's based on a very limited definition of so-called Judeo-Christian values. And, and their intended means of achieving this is kind of via control of Caesar and empire. And, and they do all this in the face of Jesus' statement, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I think there's much to be said for the separation of church and state. And I think either deliberately or, or not, the ACL kind of misses that point. Because we, we live in a society that is really kind of obsessed with Caesar and consumed by empire. But increasingly, we're finding around the political discourse that people have this kind of love-hate relationship. Because we continue to look to government, we continue to look to corporations for answers and for provision and kind of for solutions and, and in many ways for our salvation but they're continually found wanting. They fall short. And so we become disenchanted and disenfranchised and disappointed. Um, And we kind of hold on to and seek to shape a false god and false power, really, I think, at our own peril. 
Whereas Jesus' stance really should encourage us, should embolden us to kind of question this presumption that we have of Caesar and empire, should uh, cause us to question this presumption uh, of government and politics and consumerism and kind of the idols that we make them to be. I think we need to question uh, the presumption that nationhood and military might and border control and kind of relentless profiteering and profitability are these irrefutable values. I think we need to question policy making that is increasingly just based on populism, to question whether we'll actually allow those values to kind of dictate our lives. Now, having said all that, I, I, don't, I don't believe that Caesar and empire are this kind of great evil in and of themselves. The, the problem is not that the powerful are powerful or that the rich are rich. I think the problem really is just back and related to who or what we serve. The problem comes when power and wealth is very much kind of used to oppress and to exclude rather than to liberate and set free and to include. And so I think that in choosing kingdom over empire, which is a very difficult and deliberate choice in choosing God over Caesar, we really need to... To, to quote Jesus from Matthew 10:16, to kind of be as cunning as a snake and inoffensive as a dove. We, we need to be very deliberate and considered. We need to try and understand kind of what is Caesar's and to not get suckered into the battles that are really kind of Caesar-related battles. But I think we also kind of have a role in subverting and kind of questioning false power and, and false kind of structures and, and really modeling a world in which we're all made in the image of God. And so, and this is a daily challenge for me, but I really strive to be someone who, who seeks peace over war, who uh, chooses mercy over judgment, who seeks forgiveness over retribution, inclusion over exclusion and love over hate. Because what we see around us, I think, is that the poor and the marginalised and the excluded and the weak are really quite dispensable to Caesar and to empire. They, they make the bottom line look bad, really. And they kind of weaken the concept of empire. And, and I think we see the evidence of that in a lot of places, whether it's populist polls on human rights or a renewed white Australia policy in the guise of citizenship tests or this, thankfully... Uh, the, the new one that's being mooted at the moment, this requirement for single parents to legally prove that they are indeed single. There's this kind of attack on the poor and there's kind of little doubt that the vulnerable hold less value in the mind of Caesar. And so in a world where empire is everywhere, I think it can be really difficult to know where and how to discern and to kind of draw the line, if indeed we can at all and to kind of actively seek the kingdom of God. And so I don't necessarily have an answer to this. We're going to discuss that in in just a short moment. But my prayer uh, out of the conversation tonight is really that the wisdom of the Holy Spirit would increasingly just guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, uh, guide our steps and guide our lives. You know, may we know how to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. May we use our power and our privilege wisely and may we use them in the interests of the common good. 
And may we even champion the poor and the marginalized. May we, may we try and demonstrate to our Christian brothers and sisters what I really see as the folly of empire, but the way of peace. That's my prayer. Amen.